everyone. Michelle here with the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast. In episode seven, I said to go to showgirltipoftheday.com for show notes and a link to Billy Johnstone's interview with Kathy Marath. Well, showgirltipoftheday.com is under construction. And I just wanted to post a portion of that interview with Billy Johnstone so you could have it for reference. So this is episode 7.5, Billy Johnstone, the Broadway Radio Hour, his interview with Kathy Marath. Enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Broadway Radio Hour. I'm Billy Johnstone here. And check out my show on social media, facebook.com slash the Broadway Radio Hour. You could follow me on Twitter at Billy Johnstone. And I want to thank you for tuning in this evening. It's a very lovely evening here in Middletown, Connecticut. The students are back from spring break and uh, things are moving along here. Um, I have a great show planned for you. In just a bit, my dear friend, Kathy Marath, will be joining us on the phone. And Kathy is a Broadway cabaret performer and a very well-known arts educator. And she teaches in New York City, but also takes her workshops around the country as well as internationally. Well, about 10 years ago, I think it's about 10 years, she'll give us the info on that. She created a very successful one-woman show called Daydreaming, featuring the songs of Doris Day. And I opened the show with Kathy performing one of those songs, Everybody Loves a Lover. And for those music buffs out there, you may recognize the name Marath. Kathy is the daughter of famous American ragtime pianist and composer Max Marath. So I can't wait to get her on the phone to talk about her career and her dad. And just we're just going to talk about everything today. And I think I have her on the phone. I'm thrilled to welcome her to the program. Kathy, are you there? Hi, Billy. I'm here, and I'm just delighted to be on your show. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait. I've been waiting for this all week because we have a good time together. We do, and I'm a big fan. Oh, thank you. And I know you tune in, and and that means a lot to me. I listen religiously. Listen, what I want to say to you first is Mm. wishing you a huge happy birthday. Oh, that's right. I had a birthday a couple of days ago. Was it yesterday? Yesterday. Um, yesterday it was. Yeah, it was Indeed. yesterday. Did you have a good birthday? I had a wonderful birthday. Yes. Lovely. Did your husband Bob cook for you? He cooked, he cleaned, he gave me a back rub. It was perfect. It's perfect, perfect. Well, perfect. listen, Kathy, I never, mm. I, we've known each other for years. Yeah. But I've never heard you sing and never seen you perform. So when I, That's, but I've always wanted to have you on the show because you got some great stories. And so mm-hmm. when I asked you to bring me some uh, CDs of yourself and you brought me the Doris Day one and the ones with your dad. I mean, I sat there with my jaw dropped. What a voice on you. Goodness. Well, people paid me and I sang, so <laughs> um, <laughs> this is well, good enough. Um, tell us, uh, Doris Day, the Doris Day songs, right? Tell us how you got the idea to do a show, how it all came to fr- fruition. Like, why Doris Day? Mm-hmm. Well, I I was living in L.A. This is the early aughts. We were living in L.A. And I had done a club act in Dallas, at the Dallas Theater Center, when we were living in Dallas. And I I loved the cabaret. I loved having the control and creativity to not be squeezed into a role. Because, you know, I'm an actress of many, many parts all over the years. So anyway, Bruce and I decided to put something together. And, and I Bruce was attracted is your, to your accompanist? Bruce is, yes, Bruce okay. Coyle, Bruce W. Coyle, one of the best in the business, and he was happily living not far from where we lived in L.A. And I was very attracted to mid-century um, American standards and singers like Anita O'Day and Rosie Clooney, 
So I was looking to do some kind of a tribute to one of those gals, or perhaps a compendium of songs from the period. And Bruce brought out um, a beautiful album, Andre Previn and Doris Day, piano and voice, the jazz uh, album. And I realized, and both Bruce and I just, we had a double take, Doris Day was really known more as a comedic actress in vehicles like Pillow Talk with Rock Hudson, etc. But she was one of the best jazz singers um, of her time and has a discography of over 40 albums. So we decided we would put together a tribute to Miss Day, but we didn't want to make it just about her. We wanted to fashion some sort of theatrical narrative. So it was my idea um, that I would be a 50s housewife who gets through her day by channeling Doris. So it was daydreaming, channeling Doris Day, and that's how it was born. And you performed all over uh, California with it, right? Yes. Well, we were lucky to get a, a nice spot in a West Hollywood cabaret, and we were in and out of that place and the Gardenia Room in L.A. And then we found we got nice notices, and we got a booking agent who booked us up and down the, East, the West Coast. How exciting. So and it, was, it was a thrill. When was the last time you performed that? We did an iteration of it, slightly changed, uh, at the Zipper Theater in New York, which was now about, oh gosh, five or six years ago, and it's been sort of sitting, in, you know, in the back of my closet, and I, after hearing those songs, I, I think I need to dust it up. I, you know I'm going to um, be on you now about this. I know, you now, have to be. Yeah, you're, you're probably going to regret the day that you gave me that CD, <laughs> because I'm going to be, it's going to be nonstop, this ha- you have to do this again in New York. Yeah, I think I think I have to. It's well, and, and uh, as I said, I think Miss Day, Doris Day has never gotten the recognition she deserves, and she's still very much alive. Yeah, she's in her late nineties, I believe. Late nineties, yes. Now, did you have to get um, any special permission from her? No, no. These were all just you know, ASCAP, BMI. We had to pay rights for the songs, but we didn't have to get any permission. However, through a friend of mine, Kay Ballard, who we can talk about later, I knew that Doris had become a real animal rights advocate. So we we did a couple of benefits for ASPCA and various charities, and I think she gave us her tacit approval um, because we didn't want to dwell on some of the darker aspects of her life. It was very optimistic and sunny as per her personality and also the material. I didn't want to do downers. I wanted to do songs that made people go home happy. And you didn't you bring a dog on stage at the end? I did. As part I did. Of the, uh, um... well, well, what's fun is it was Bruce's idea, my accompanist and pianist, to end the set. Not with it. We ended with Kesarasra. Of course, it was a sing along. Everybody knows the song. But then, as the encore, we did a Aaron's and Flaherty song called "Times Like This," which is about a girl who wants a dog. And at the end of that song, at times like this, a girl could use a dog. We got a little a rescue dog to come running out on stage. How so, fun. Yeah, it was fantastic. And so when we passed the hat, we, we, got, we made a lot of money for the charity. That's excellent. Well, I want to ask you more about your career in theater, but, um, but first, I think we should mm-hmm. play a little bit more Doris Day. Oh, good. Kathy what what do we... Doris Day. We're going to do um, one of her famous tunes, her most famous tune, Sentimental Journey. Oh, yes, it I, is. I love that. So you'll stick around with us? I'm here, Billy. Great. Not going anywhere. All right, all right. Okay, we'll, we'll, thanks. We'll be back after this. So, Kathy, hmm? we've been, uh, you've been mentioning about your career and everything, and I, I love to, when people work with celebrities, hear all about that. So tell some of the people you worked with. 
Well, I've, I've worked a lot, so it was inevitable that I would bump up to some people who were on the way up or who were big stars. And, um, well, I started with Pat Swayze. Patrick Swayze was in the bus and truck of Greece, which was how I got my equity card. And he was just a kid. Uh, he wasn't famous yet. He was Danny? But then he, he was Danny, of and course. And you were Sandy. And I was, well, I was the cover. Okay. I was the cover for Sandy. But, yes, I did go on. And Patrick ended up being, of course, a wonderful um, actor and dancer, one of the best dancers in the business. And so I was lucky to have met him early in my career. And then, as I said, Meryl Streep in, in the Alice in Concert, and she's a divine goddess. And I learned so much by watching her, watching her process, watching how she treated people. And, again, she was not yet really... Uh, that famous when I when I worked with her, she was coming out of Yale, and had just landed a couple of feature films. She was actually in rehearsal for Sophie's Choice when we were doing the show, yeah, and she was prepping that. Um, then, of course, Pirates was full of lots of juicy, wonderful stars, not just Rex and Kevin, but uh, Treat Williams was in the show for a while, and Robbie Benson. Oh, I didn't know that. And Robbie Benson replaced Rex, and then. Peter Noon of Hermit's Hermit's fame, I'm Henry the Eighth. Mm-hmm. I am. Some of you older folks will remember Hermit's Hermit's British boy band uh, was our final Frederick and our final Pirate King. We went from Kevin Klein to Treat Williams to Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi. Believe it or not. What was he and like? He was, he was terrific. Hail fellow, well met. Funny, kind. And completely different from the sort of dashing Errol Flynn that Kevin Klein had created, Jim created sort of a bumbling, foolish Pirate King, and it worked just as well because it worked for his um, comic ability. And we share, um, we have something in common. We both worked with the late, great Laurie Beachman. Yes, Laurie, Laurie was, was in, in the Pirates. ensemble. She was in the ensemble. She initially was the swing, and then they promoted her to be one of the uh, featured sisters. And she was in, I believe she was in it for, for most of the show. Yeah, for the run of the show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so sad what, ha- what happened with her. I know, you know. I know. It was just, and she was out there. She was doing Les Mis, right? She was out uh, doing Les yeah, Mis. Yeah, she was doing Les Mis when she got, was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. yeah, And I worked with her. I did her last Broadway show with her because she came That's in to right. do Cats for three months when we broke the record. So uh, it was wonderful. So tell us how you got into teaching. You segued from the career of teaching. Well, we were in Dallas, and I still worked a lot in the business. And then L.A. was a little less because I was a new mother. So I wanted to find find something that I could do so that I could be home for, as we call it, bed, bath, and beyond. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't want to be gone eight eight shows a week for all of that. So I... uh, ran into a fellow that I had known from New York out in L.A., and a new school was being built, and he said, do you want to come teach for me? And I said, well, okay. I had taught once before at Chautauqua Opera. I had taught the opera singers who were apprentices musical theater scenes and songs. So I had done it a little bit, but um, that's when I started in L.A., and then I came back to New York and have continued to teach and present workshops, and um, I love teaching. Terrific. And you're darn good at it, too. Well, I'd the like to think that students love you, love you, love you. Well, that's very sweet. I've, I've, lear- I've learned by doing um, the, the, the best way to get uh, kids, students, to um, reveal their truth and, and work with integrity and honesty. Well, when we come back, 
Mm-hmm. I want to talk about your dad, Max. Okay, he and was guess so, what? So darling to um, to do a station <laughs> ID for me, and it was so okay. funny because he doesn't have a smartphone. He, he said he left me a voicemail. And, Honey, he's a luddite. And, Trust me. And he did. He, he's got he, a flip phone. Yeah, he left me three. He said it three times for me. He wanted to make sure he had it down, and it was just okay. so. I, mean, I can't wait to play the. Um, he's an old radio man, Billy. I know. I know. Yeah. So we'll talk. Okay. We'll talk about him. But here oh. is first mm-hmm. the classic case of oh. Sarah. Well, I have my good friend Kathy Marath on the phone. Mm. Kathy, listening to these songs again is it giving you inspiration? Maybe to uh, dust it off and. Yeah, I. I just you know what I just love the material so much. I really love the American Songbook. It's, it's, the it's best. really great. I mean, I'm I, now I'm like. I'm all into Doris Day now. <laughs> well, she, you know, a, a clear reading of Doris Day shows that she's quite the musical genius. And I just wanted to be able to, you know, try to work through some of that material because I think it deserves to still be listened to. And I'd love for some of my students to listen to it. That'd you know? be great. I hope some of the students yeah. are listening to this. I hope so, too. If not, I think we should, I think we should make it... Um... An assignment for them. We will. And give them a It'll test. be a listening project. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's let's go way back. I just picture okay. you as a little precocious blonde entity uh-huh. running around. Uh-huh. Um, yes. wh- you grew up in Colorado, right? Well, we grew up in Colorado. I grew up in Denver, in Colorado yeah. Springs. Yeah. And, and and how did you how did you start in show? How did you start this all all this? Were you well, just singing and dancing? I, I was constantly singing and dancing from the time I was a little thing. And I come from a showbiz family, which we can talk about a little later. So I was always in choir and taking tap class and this and that. And then when I was in high school, I was in all the shows and I took voice lessons. But when I went to college, I I actually just thought that that was going to be sort of just a hobby. Because you didn't major in theater, did you? No, no, I was not a a theater major. Um, I was a a semiotics major, which is part of the English department. Of course you were signs and signification, and I thought maybe I'd become an attorney or a historian. I didn't know what I was going to do, but went, I didn't think... you went think to Brown University, right? I went to Brown mm-hmm. University. In fact, right up the road from Wesleyan. Yeah. Well, not right up the listeners. road, but one, little, one little state over. Right. So when I was at Brown, um, since there was no theater major to be had, anybody could audition for any of the shows. I mean, biology majors. and So I was in some plays at Brown, and I did summer stock out on Cape Cod at a wonderful... Um, theater called the College Light Opera Company, where we did full-blown musicals and light opera and Gilbert and Sullivan with a full orchestra, a lot of people from Oberlin and Hart School of Music. So I really kind of got the bug those three summers. So after I graduated, I moved directly to New York, and I gave myself three years. I said, Marath, if you're not working and making money and being part of the union in three years, you're going to go back to law school. And so it worked out. <laughs> I just kept doing it. What was your first gig in New York? Well, my first real gig in New York was um, The Fantastics off-Broadway. Wonderful. You played, which of was course, fan- the girl, Louisa. Yes, Louisa. I was the girl. Um, I replaced a, a wonderful actress who was going into Sweeney Todd, Betsy Joslin. And um, I was terrified, of course, but it ended up being a wonderful perch for me. I was able to go downtown every night and do this marvelous show, brilliantly directed and written. Of course, I think it's one of the best musicals ever. And from there, that sort of kicked my career off, and I I went on to tour with Robert Goulet, and I did um, another off-Broadway show downtown at the Public Theater called Alice in Concert, which was an avant-garde treatment of Alice in Wonderland, 
directed by Joe Papp, and Graziella Danielle did the choreography, and um, Meryl Streep was a star. So my, my work at the public theater, and I did some readings for them, and that really sort of established me as what I never thought I was, was a downtown actress. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and uh, was it the work at the public that got you eventually t- into your Broadway debut? Yes. It, it, it definitely, well, there was a connection. I tell my students, you know, you're always making connections and networking. And indeed, um, Graciela called me up and said, you're interested. Do you want to audition for, you know, can you sing that high? And I said, actually, I can. So I went in audition for the cover um, for Mabel, which was being played by Linda Ronstadt. In Pirates they of had done it In Pirates of Penzance, yes, correct. Um, it had been a big success in the park. I was not part of that production, but when they moved to Broadway, they had to bolster the, the company with covers and understudies, and I was 25, and suddenly I was in a Broadway show. Wow. A you, big were, hit. you were in the ensemble, yeah. right, as well? Yes, I was in the ensemble and then covering uh, the lead. It was Linda for many months, and then Maureen McGovern, the wonderful Maureen McGovern, took over and was with the show the rest of the time. What's it like being an understudy? And going on when you know that people are in the audience wanting to see one of the stars? Well, it's very difficult. Uh, It can be demoralizing, but you just have to believe in your process and believe in what you can bring to the role. And we were fortunate in Pirates. It wasn't just a one-star show. We had Kevin Kline and Rex Smith and Kay Ballard and George Rose. So um, we didn't get a lot of walkouts when the, the... Either Linda or Maureen was out, but I felt enormous pressure. So, of course, I I did my very best, and they had been very kind to me. They gave me a blonde wig. Instead of having to wear Linda's dark wig, they created a blonde wig for me. And really, the stage management and the director and the musical director were very, very good to the understudies in that show. And Very uh, appreciative. What was it like working with, like, Kevin Klein? Well, he's a mad genius. <laughs> Yes, in fact, the first time I went on for, for Linda, Kevin and Rex put me on their, their, their shoulders and walked me off. So I was smitten. And he was a genius, absolutely in, in charge of everything. He was the leader of the show, the Potter Familius, and made it a wonderful work environment for everybody. It was very equanimical. He was really good to the ensemble. Um. And then after Pirates, you had a very successful career touring in regional, in regional houses. and Yeah, I, gosh, I toured and I played almost, I was going down the list, I played almost every regional theater in the country and big summer venues. And I happily, I'm, I'm so just um, gratified and honored that I've been able to play a lot of really wonderful roles. All the roles that, I, that were on my bucket list I've played, except for one, which is Nellie Forbush oh. in South Pacific. But that, but I've done a lot of the Rodgers and Hammerstein, and you know, I feel like I'm just um, so grateful that I had a full career before I decided to start teaching. Well, I still think you should go back to the career. I'm gonna. You're, <laughs> okay. It starts, okay. It you're, you're laying down the gantlet, aren't you? I am. Okay. I am. Okay. Well. Well, when we come right. back from the, our next yeah. musical break, um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about some of the famous people you've worked with. You already name dropped oh, a few, okay. but you've worked with pretty much everyone. Okay, well, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I'll get my list out. Okay. I've got a little list. All okay. right. So, so tell us a little and, bit about him. Well, my dad, my dad started as a, a, a ragtime. He played saloons and honky-tonks in Cripple Creek, Colorado, and kind of learned 
he had been classically trained as a pianist, but was very interested in the rags uh, that were handed down orally, and they weren't really written down. So my father made it his mission to learn how to play rags and perfected it, and went on to create a show for um, PBS TV called At the Turn of the Century, and this was early days in public television. Your listeners may know that... Um, Public television came uh, came to be in the early 60s, which is when my dad created his show. And then he began to tour, and he wrote an off-Broadway show that premiered in 1970 that was a big hit. And along the way, he really became, I think, more than even just a musician. He is a, a historian of the period and a raconteur. He can tell a joke, and he can weave a story. So... He's been doing that on and off his entire life, and I think he is America's definitive expert on ragtime and how it influenced not just jazz, but the American musical. And um, um, so, you, you um, growing up, so you had music in the house all the oh, time. All the time. My father was always practicing, and having a musician father meant that he was on the road a lot. But then when he was home, he was really home. And when we could, we followed him. Oh, we went one summer, we were living in Vegas. He opened for Dinah Shore at the Sands, and we were living in Las Vegas. My sister and I were friends with the showgirls. <laughs> uh, another summer, we were in Central City, Colorado. Uh, my dad played at the Blue Angel down in the village when we lived on Long Island. I mean, we were always hauled around, and we settled in New Jersey. And up until just a few years ago, my dad was still playing and singing. Um, now he's he lives now in Minnesota. retired, but he still goes on and is a talking head occasionally on on NPR, and he's written a number of books. And you guys did a live broadcast together in 1994. We did. At the time, Symphony Space, some of your listeners may remember Symphony Space on 96 on Broadway, mm-hmm. was a wonderful venue, and they would do wall-to-wall um, tributes to various composer lyricists. And my dad and I were part of the Irving Berlin wall-to-wall uh, in 1990. My father knew the old man. He had a correspondence with him, and he would speak to him occasionally. So they, they were friends. And so my father was tapped to be the uh, master of ceremonies, and he and I sang a couple of tunes. Yeah, together, and, and they were, it was lucky to be recorded. I want to thank the very generous Billy Johnstone for providing us with his audio footage of his interview with Kathy Marath. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Billy. Please be a guest on this show soon. Can't wait to let the world hear all about your wonderful career and your motto, dreams do come true. Next week on the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast, we have international performer, Amy Kovo. Amy's a native New Yorker who moved to Berlin and has been there for 30 years with a quick trip back to New York, quick, She was back here for seven years. We'll get into that in another interview. Amy and I talked so much that this is just part one of our time together. Hope you enjoy it. We'll see you next week. Thank you, everybody. I'm sending love out to all of you, wherever you are. Thanks for listening. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, Showgirl Tip of Day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Show, show.